Hey everybody, you're listening to another episode of Real Rap, sponsored by Splittooth Media. We got here on the horn, um, on the line, through the wire and through the wine, uh, give, spinning up a different tune about a little old movie, um, Real to Real, uh... Coming from you at, at a delay, a, just in case there's any um, any foul language that occurs, um, with a special uh, spring in a step and a uh, glint in his eye, uh, coming from the same kind of <laughs> two one five. Hey, some people. Uh, it's oh, me, Ryan Plusky, uh coming in. Uh, previously featured. Uh, in 11 rambling voicemails, uh, Amtrak train previously also screaming into my phone, mm-hmm. Prospect Park. Um, very excited to be joining, uh, the, the, the duo here, the dynamic duo. Uh, Prospect Park's never uh, had such a, a, pro, a huge prospect as having one of their very own <laughs> members of their society come on such a lauded and respected podcast. You know, uh... If if you haven't read the the phrase real rap, then maybe you don't get the wordplay um, mm. that I'm then going to resubvert and say that mm-hmm. these uh, real rappers are two of the realest guys I know. So, uh, Ryan, welcome to the show. Longtime uh, listener. Ryan. Hey, glad to be here. Uh, after my last feature, I feel like I, I, at the very least owed you guys a voicemail. Yeah, Mm-hmm. That, that uh, was so much crazier than you described it to me. Those voicemails really just <laughs> truly transcend you know it. Bennett, I, I I think I already said this to you. I I really I didn't fully comprehend what I did until I was on my way from visiting Philly, and I had just been <laughs> drinking at Costas for two hours, having like like two or three city wides, and then a tall boy, and then like got on a train. I was very excited, like fucking hypomanic, just like, oh, you know what? I, I bet it was really encouraging. I want to leave like, <laughs> you know, 20 minutes of, uh, you know, of voicemail. Mm-hmm. And then I, I immediately started screaming in my seat. So like for the first two <laughs> minutes of the voicemail, I'm like d- doing the worst shitty bit. And it's in my seat in Amtrak. And then for the rest of the 18 minutes, I'm just in the bathroom in an Amtrak car. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't until I, I was going to a friend's birthday party back in Brooklyn. And like uh, when I got there, I realized I was just about as drunk as everyone at the party. And it had already been going on for like an hour, an hour and a half. <laughs> like, Oh my God! Like we're meeting, we're meeting in the middle here. Like I, I'm coming down from somewhere. They're coming um, up. Yeah. Well, if I can, if I can make the obligatory Mad Men reference for this episode, hanging out with me is a lot like hanging out with Cal Rutledge from Ponds. Uh, you'll remember, of course, when Roger comes into the office and goes, "Well, that Cal Rutledge is a real cut up." And Freddie goes, "Well, what do you mean?" He goes, "I mean, I need to lie down." Uh, classic. Uh, anyway, <laughs> tell us about your relationship with Real Rap. What uh, what brought you to the show, Ryan? And, and what have you loved about it over the years? Oh, oh, Bennett! I, you know, I don't think it's a surprise. I, I, I still friends with you, uh, and you know, I've become close in a one-way friendship with Shane uh, over the course of listening ha- to Real Happy Rap. to be here. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I picked it up. I like the banter. I like, uh, I like the Yardley references, which is something I called out in my first, um, also insane voicemail. Uh, and uh, you know the 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 the, the transparent shit boy uh, chatter. 
you know, it, I find it pleasing. I don't really mean that. I don't mean that as a cut in any way. I find it like, like get into a nice mm-hmm. jacuzzi back in LMT, you know, like slip it in my parents' jacuzzi. It's like, oh, you know, it's mm-hmm. soothing. Yeah, I need, I, yeah, it's healing. So, uh, so I often uh, throw on the real rap as uh, you know, I'm smoking a little spliff walking through Prospect Park on a, on a weekend, uh, you know, Sunday night. Uh, it's quite beautiful. I really enjoy listening to you guys. Ryan, so happy to have you here. Yeah, we're very happy very to have you here. And uh, I guess on to the, the, the film we're discussing, uh, The Graduate. Uh, I don't know about you. For me, this is a film I had watched uh, many a time. Kind of an important film mm-hmm. in my early uh, cinephilia. I would think besides The Grinch, this is the film that we've covered that I've seen the most times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Really? Ballpark. How many times? Uh, just like five, six. And then I've watched like bits more than that. Like uh, the, 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 the montage, the Sound of Silence montage where he's like jumping into the pool and then into, and, and like landing in bed with Mrs. Robinson. That's the sort of thing that I've like watched on YouTube uh, a fair amount. Like when I was like, you know. Like a high school, like shit boy, like I like movies, you know, like an IMDb top two fifty sort of thing. <laughs> um, this is definitely a movie I own on Blu-ray. I realize I should have um, probably given it the the respect it deserves and watched it uh, from across the room, squinting. Uh, sure, sure, but you didn't. <laughs> but no, I watched it on my phone, uh, huddled on the uh, train. Uh, what, what's your relationship like? Did you watch the free YouTube version? No, actually, I watched it. It's on Prime, too. I did. Um, so, I actually put some, I watched some that money one too. in uh, Jeff Bezos' pocket. A guy who, as you know, needs a, needs a helping hand every now and then. <sighs> JB. JB, well, yo. You know what? I don't... He's so benevolent, I don't even feel bad giving money over, you know? No. Um, Shane, you mentioned that you had seen The Graduate before and that it, uh, it hits differently now. What was your relationship like with this film? What were your kind of initial thoughts? What your thoughts um, now? You know when you're like uh, like nine uh-huh. and you start like talking about God as if you know everything and you start talking down to people about it? Uh-huh. That's kind of like, uh, I guess, my relationship to it. I was just basically told by the internet to watch this movie and then I was like, oh yeah, th- that's what a good movie is. And that's my relationship. And I didn't really do any thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I just saw a good movie. Ryan, you were enthusiastic about this episode. I, I, I gave you the um, the schedule for the upcoming uh, the upcoming film. Yeah, you, right. you jumped on this one. I jumped. Uh, I jumped on the graduate. I don't know um, of of I think all of Mike Nichols stuff uh, of which I you know I love I love him deeply as a person. So I was very excited that you guys were doing Nichols and May. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I also carry the scar and burden of having once and sometimes currently still being. Uh, very much an improv comedy, which they kind of form. That's a yikes for me, bro. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm no, just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. No, I, I feel less and less comfortable, like, admitting to, uh, like, it used, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like admitting something. you're divorced. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's. Don't let Bennett get you down. I think it's honorable wow. to do improv comedy. Thanks, Thanks Shane. Uh, I think, I think. Yeah, saying that I do improv, like uh, people often, uh, first thing, are, oh, you know, I always want to try that, or like I never get up on, yeah, I could never get up on stage not knowing what to do. Uh, but I don't think it's ever taught me anything like about uh, you know being more comfortable with myself. I think it's only like <laughs> it, they, they 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 take weird people's money and and make them weirder, like. It, uh-huh. 
it's that's not a service <laughs> I needed. Uh, it's oh. just made me like more self-conscious and aware of every fucking thing that's coming out of my mouth. And now I'm fucking trying to, mm. oh, don't A to B, Yo, a, a to Z, baby. Go to go yeah. to some weird place, you know? Oh, who's that walk on? You know, maybe you're a spaghetti. You could be a spaghetti man. Why don't you? Uh, why don't you just walk on and you're a big wow. ball of spaghetti? It's like wow. and I have to that think that at like ten twenty two at, at work. <laughs> it's like, and I paid for that. Uh-huh. I fucking paid uh-huh. for that. You paid them so, for the trouble, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, on some level, I, 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 I have a lot of warm love for for Mike Nichols and only in May for that. But you know, obviously, there's the the, the a nice patina of resentment as well that's kind of mm-hmm. cropped up in, in like last year. But anyway, uh, I jumped on the graduate because I had the same kind of thing that you guys have said about certain movies in like 2009, where I sat down on the couch and was like, oh, you know, it's Shane said, you know, like, I just, the internet says I should see this movie. And I finish it and I'm like, that was the greatest movie ever. <laughs> that movie uh-huh. touched me. The movie's uh-huh. about me. I'm an aimless fight boy. Uh, <laughs> I forget how sexy this movie is, too. Um, you know, after giving my voice... Reaction. Really? <laughs> I was like, God, I forget how like, awful he is, how gross Are this you movie see- is, how unsexy well, he's it is. gross, but that kind of also makes it sexy because it becomes easy to relate to him. Oh, uh, yeah. And he's like... I, I, well, a, a hot lady wants to fuck my unsocialized stupid mm-hmm. ass yeah I I, it, I, I, I I had too easy a job seeing i think myself in, in in some of that i remember when i first saw it i probably saw it in like 2010 i remember being like wow you know i i run cross country and uh and and write for the newspaper and look jewish in comparison to my parents and don't know what i'm doing with my life maybe you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it speaks to me and now that, that's a horrifying thing that's not for me now that's like an albatross around this movie's neck uh sorry to interrupt though mm-hmm. you mentioned a williams connection as well the author uh went to williams oh yeah i, I mean that kind of just came out later just because uh the author of the book uh i didn't remember why he was special to me besides the fact that like we went to the same college and he's also like pretty like visibly apparent fuckboy. But then I read his Wikipedia page and I remembered like, oh shit, like this is one of those guys with like a, a fucking one for the ages Wikipedia page. Uh, mm. Like, <laughs> What's his name again? His name is Charles Webb. And mm. it's, he. Ju- I mean, he just seems like he's had like a fucking insane life. And not like some people have insane lives where like a, a bunch of cool shit happens to them. Like, oh, you know, they were creative genius or like you know, they're mm-hmm. special in some way. But this is a guy who just seems to like have continually made the weirdest choices uh, successively. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, me, let me just read a passage uh, to you. Um, mm-hmm. As of 2006, Webb has been uh, with his long-term partner Eve for more than 40 years. Eve shaves her head and calls herself, quote, Fred, in solidarity with a Californian support group called Fred for men who have low self-esteem. Fred is an artist and her work includes illustrations for Webb's novels. Uh, Their sons are are performance artists who uh, once cooked and ate a copy of The Graduate with cranberry sauce. That is a single paragraph <laughs> in his Wikipedia page. 
it's a fucking it's a nicely uh, it's a it's a hearty wikipedia page there's more fucking mm. shit in there it, it, I, like it also seems like he's just been consumed with that like the graduate as a novel that he mm. like he wrote all he wrote the novel the graduate and got turned into a movie and the screenwriters mm-hmm. took a lot of credit but most of the dialogue is from the book so, like, hmm. yeah, I think the dialogue's pretty good. I mean, it's clearly powerful because of Dustin Hoffman and, and Mike Nichols' direction, I'd say. But, you know, the dialogue is also pretty strong. And so I probably was struggling under, like, oh, man, I'm a genius in the world, you know, just only sees me for this one commercially successful piece and has spent, like, his whole life trying to get back the rights for it. And this is my last thing about Charles Webb. Okay. He, he, he spent, like, decades writing a sequel to the graduate called homeschool because he and his wife eve who goes by fred are like obsessed with homeschooling as like a way Mm. to like create new culture and so he basically just like fucking piggybacked off of the success of the graduate stole the characters and then like uh made a sequel that's solely about like um Elaine and uh, main character, the graduate, like as adults with children fighting their local school board in order to homeschool their children. Just like what? Yikes. That's a yikes for me. Dog. That's a yikes for me. That's a nope for me, man. Uh, oof. As, as Noel Gallagher would say, not for me, mate. I think that if you're uh, if you if your son cooks your book and eats it with cranberry sauce, you've definitely uh, sent some serious irreversible trauma to that kid <laughs> in, in his uh, early years. Well, well, speaking of trauma, it sounds like this was uh, a somewhat autobiographical book for Webb. A passage from Mark Harris's book uh, describes his um, inspiration for writing it. Um, While not autobiographical, Webb's novel clearly owed a strong debt to a wrenching episode in his life that took place in 1960 when he was barely out of his teens and in his junior year at Williams College. He had fallen in love with a Bennington sophomore named Eve Rudd. Rudd got pregnant and she and Webb became engaged. When her parents found out, they pulled her out of school and she had an abortion. In the wake of this split from Rudd, whom he eventually married, he began his novel. So, I mean, really just kind of a uh, an example of a man deciding, God, you know, my life is just so fucking interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Logan Taylor. And it can who, only get more interesting. And it's only going to get more interesting from here, who, who also writes on Split Tooth, mentioned on um, Letterboxd, which I think is astute. Um, yeah, obviously this movie is like kind of unfashionable to like because it's about like a rich white guy and all his rich white guy problems. But she notes that it's like the perfect like 101 like teaching tool for teaching people mise-en-scene. There's so mm-hmm. many like little like editing tricks and so much as so much and like the set dressing and everything speaks so much. You could tell this was a movie made by people who were just so fucking high on the idea of making a movie, like with all mm-hmm. of the, um, just everything that was coming out in, around the time it was getting made. It took like five years to get made. Um, you know, uh, the book obviously charts, um, it, it, it's whole making, um, long convoluted process. Mike Nichols thought it was going to be his debut. It obviously ended up following who's afraid of Virginia Woolf. Um, in the, in the novel, Benjamin is obviously supposed to be a wasp. They thought about casting like Robert Redford, Warren Beatty, uh, Charles Grodin apparently had a great uh, read for it. Nearly got the part. Uh, claims to have been offered the role, although Mike Nichols disputes it. Um, the cinematographer, I think, said like this. The, Robert Sorties said like this is one of the hardest films that he worked on. 
Yeah, apparently it was a nightmare. Um, yeah. It, which is like, insane because he fucking, he worked on like, like Ben-Hur and shit. Like he worked on all these <laughs> insanely like huge production, like, like old Hollywood at its like most, mm-hmm. I don't know, bombastic, like fucking, I don't know, it was probably like $20 million back then. It was equivalent to like $290 million budgets. But the hard one to shoot was just Mike Nichols, like shooting through, you know, uh, shooting through like uh, someone's leg to capture like Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, apparently he asked him to do a bunch of like really deceptively difficult shit. Like apparently the shot at the end in the church with all that glass was like a nightmare that he had to huh. like really invent some like new technique to capture. And you'll remember when Benjamin walks into the Robinson house to take Elaine out the first time. There's this insanely long zoom into Mrs. Robinson. Apparently that shot was really like elaborate. Like they zoomed from like across the fucking street. Yeah. Oh, huh. yeah. I do remember that though. And then there's a zoom out. Ooh, after uh, after he like leaves the house in disgrace, that like almost oh, like bookends yeah. the whole sequence. I, this movie—they're just having so much fun, and I—it's I, it's, like it sounds like I'm like denigrating the movie. This sounds, this sounds like such like a backhanded compliment, but as we said, it's like a very—it's like an easy movie to get a handle on. Like I felt like what I really liked about this movie when I first saw it, and when I remember writing about it in like my first uh, film journal in like Scott McDonald's class. It's such a—it's an easy movie to sound intelligent talking about. I mean, I'm going to prove that wrong by just sounding like a, a dipshit talking about it this whole episode, <laughs> but. Um, you know, like we said, it, it, it's sort of a it's sort of a good crash course and like how you know how how you know editing affects the movie, how like the, the set dressing affects the movie, how, the, how this camera work works, you know how it suggests the character's um, state of mind. And I think I think like part of the reasons the, the the movies that become canonical become canonical is because they sort of flatter our intelligence like that. Um, they're easy mm-hmm. for us to get a hold of and like talk about and um, you know kind of uh, dig into um, like. I was thinking, like, uh, this movie, I-, I think I first became aware of it because it's on that AFI Top 100 list, uh, both of them. And I was thinking about those lists. Like, what is the most challenging, thorny movie that's on that list? Like, I don't, there aren't very many. <laughs> I-, I mean, like, the movies that are really, like, thorny and challenging, they're on those lists are movies like the birth- like Birth of a Nation because it's fucking, you know, it's racist and it's silent. Um, that's why it's, uh, you know, a, a thorny movie. Um, you know, it's I, not to say that this is at all elementary, but it's I don't know. It's something that that, that crossed my mind that like we only really like mm. we we only hold up as an example these movies that kind of I don't know. In addition to entertaining us, sort of make us feel smart. Mm. Yeah, everything experimental about it kind of lends to the feeling that you might already have, like him being in a scuba suit. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of feeds this idea that we might already have of him being kind of isolated or on his own uh, pushed into the deep end as it were so there's nothing challenging about seeing kind of a breast flash on the screen in a really strange way it doesn't it might be surprising but it's not a challenge a challenge <laughs> yeah, also, yeah I mean, if you're being unchar- if you're being uncharitable you could say the script is kind of on the nose uh, but I, I actually really like it I think it's uh, really really funny like I, just lines like we're beginning our descent into Los Angeles or you know are you here for an affair <laughs> There are these like fun, like little sort of like quippy mm-hmm. lines that I don't know are, are 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 really they're really laying it out there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I, I find I find it like just very similar to uh, other shit I've seen of his though, like and, and in other media, like you know all the Neil Simon plays that he directed. Mind you, he didn't write the scripts, uh, but maybe more 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 to the point, like uh, you know, uh, 
the old Elaine and Nichols uh, soundtracks are all kind of like this innuendo that to like a contemporary audience kind of seems like there's no there's no there's no there's no endo like it's just in you <laughs> it's just obvious you know <laughs> uh, but it's it's fucking deeply pleasing to me so I, I think I come to the same conclusion mm-hmm. as you which is just that you know I, 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 when I'm hating myself I'm like well maybe I hate this movie too but like if I actually mm-hmm. sit down and watch it I'm like oh no like uh, you know it's a little silly sometimes it feels kind of old in its humor. But ultimately, it is just yeah. I think it works as 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 it was written. It's you can tell he's got like stage experience because there's so many just perfectly calibrated sequences that are just like perfectly set up for comic timing. There's when he when he tells his parents that he's going to go to Berkeley and marry Elaine, and he walks out those western doors. As soon as the doors clap back, the toast pops up in the toaster, and there are just so many like perfectly blocked scenes. Uh, there's there's mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman in the first scene when Mrs. Robinson first comes up to his bedroom, and he's really. You, you can tell he's being directed by a guy who's got like stage experience because he's making Dustin Hoffman attend to everything that you wouldn't think of in, in a in a in something that's edited more cinematically. He's he's fidgeting around. He can't he can't sit still. He's like looking all over the place. You get like almost a minute of just watching Dustin Hoffman just kind of I don't know just 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 all, like ad lib like little like nervous movements. It's really uh, there's there's some incredible stuff like that, that that's sort of in the yeah. margins here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I was almost gonna wait to make this point later, but since we brought like Dustin Hoffman's awkwardness up, like I just, I honestly, the only thing that I would change about me watching the film uh, is that I wish I didn't know who Dustin Hoffman was, uh, mm-hmm. like a contemporary audience member mm. watching the film wouldn't have, because this mm-hmm. was like his breakout role. Like, can you imagine if this? incredibly powerful you know actor who's playing i think a role that was built for him maybe the best role i think that i've ever liked him in um and you don't know who he is he's a no-name awkward guy too which kind of like i think like helps uh Mm -hmm. helps you believe his awkwardness a little bit more god man that that would that would have been incredible well, the um, the media around the release of this film was nuts and very anti-semitic and really just kind of bananas. They talked about Dustin Hoffman as if he was some sort of fucking like space alien, as if he was the ugliest thing they'd ever seen in their entire life. Like, <laughs> like truly as if he was some sort of like sample uh, uh, between, you know, those, uh, between those, what, what do you call those little plastic things that you put a drop of water and look at it? But some sort of, you know, <laughs> fucking pressed insect or something. And, uh-huh. and 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 Mike slide. Nichols talked about very very consciously realizing that he he had to cast Dustin Hoffman. Apparently, he had this like disastrous screen test that apparently when Mike Nichols went back and watched it was like oh my god you know it, it didn't read in the room but then I saw it on screen and I was like oh he's perfect for this role and he realized that he he needed to very consciously cast someone who he felt close to. He was uh, like a Jewish immigrant who was always trying to pass in these sort of like waspy sort of moneyed. Um, I don't know, quarters of power. And he thought he needed to cast someone who had a similar sort of outsider feel to them. Um, I don't think Dustin Hoffman's an especially unattractive person. Um, that being said, he comes off terribly in Harris's book. Um, they relate many instances of him like pinching Catherine Ross's ass. And uh, yeah, and, and just really kind of like freely sharing these these anecdotes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apparently yeah. he and Mike Nichols really sparred on the set too. 
Yeah, no, as a person, Dustin Hoffman is always, he seems like a dick, a uh, huge dick. Uh, I kind of did not love his performance, though, as much as I as much as much I did the first times I watched it. I think he lays it on a little hmm. thick with the befuddled thing every now and then, like, it's, oh, sure, mm, all right, you know? Yeah, mm. yeah, which makes it also, I think, yeah. feel sometimes old to me, but I, I don't mean to say that, I, like, you know broad or, or sort of insulted uh, i just mean to say it clearly is <laughs> very clearly is I, like going on 60 years old i like that he is such a caricature whereas a lot of the people that surround him are very talented actors um i really like his dad Same. for some reason Same. Uh, i love his voice yeah the, the dad way... the dad is fucking incredible that mustache too mm-hmm. benjamin yeah, he. Uh, I talked to somebody about this movie, and they were like, "Oh, yeah, you know, we all been there. It's like postgraduate experience, you know, feeling like you're fucking floating out in space and not much going for you." Um, but I think that um, this movie kind of uses that in order to give you a person like Dustin Hoffman, who is totally malleable, but also just kind of confused. Uh, will do basically what anybody tells him to do because he has no, not a single drive of his own other than like wanting to sit in his room mm-hmm. um, and having to kind of, he, he has to kind of always define what it is his life is about and what he's going to do um, because that's what everyone's asking of him. And I think that's set up kind of perfectly by his dad who is like making like a, making like a stage performance out of him just walking out of the house in a scuba suit. It's being like, like introducing him. He's like, come on, son, you got to figure something out. And then like pushing him into the pool. It it gets at this kind of type of thing where Dustin Hoffman is pushed in so many directions by people that he ends up just doing things like, like when he says, I'm going to marry Elaine. Is that her name? (laughs) Um, it comes seemingly out of nowhere, and even when he's doing it, it doesn't even seem like he has much motivating him, or there isn't some impetus that came from the bottom of his heart. Mike Nichols kind of showing us that, like, no, even if you don't have something uh, figured out, the world is going to push you in all these directions that you have no choice but to mm. kind of follow along, especially if you're in a position of privilege where your parents have secured this future for you. Mm-hmm. Invested um, in you. You yeah. ha- have to do, you basically have to have something written out and ready or else the world is just going to push you in every direction to the point where you're going to have people screaming at you, calling you a piece of shit, even mm-hmm. though you haven't ha- made Degenerate. like any decision on your own for the past year. <laughs> um, and like that guy, the landlord. <laughs> I love the landlord. He's a very oh, landlord. strange character. The landlord is so funny. Yeah, you're not one of those landlord. agitators, are you? You're not one of those outside agitators, <laughs> are you? I hate, I can't have that here. Um, two points, Shane. It, 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 and it introduces that beautifully with the, the opening image of Ben on the um, on the moving uh, platform. What, what the fuck do you call those things? The, the, the thing in the airport. Moving sidewalk? Mm-hmm. Him moving not walking. Right. Him just, he's in no particular hurry. Probably like annoyed mm-hmm. that they landed. Like, oh fuck! Now I've really got to, you know, now I've got to actually go home and face my parents and go to this fucking party. You know, mm-hmm. a great thing about your parents not having any friends is that they would never like entertain the idea of having a drag party. <laughs> this, oh. this, what a mortifying sequence that is! Everybody coming up to him. Like, imagine yeah. your parents' friends talking to you about like fucking like like 
you know, slamming trim, as they used to say in 1967. Like, imagine oh that shit. Imagine God, your parents yeah. looking at you and going, hey, have a couple of flings this summer, huh? He calls his car a WAP job. <laughs> New rule on Real Rap. Yeah, we're allowed to I miss that. That's we're allowed incredible. to use anti-Italian slurs if we're quoting the movie. He calls his car a WAP mm-hmm. job. It's, by the way, the same car, kind of car that uh, Lyle Menendez's father bought him <laughs> before he killed him. <laughs> there's that great there's that great bit when uh, he's in the pool and his dad is like yelling at him and he's like you know it's it's naturally you'd want to you relax a little bit after four years of college but after a few weeks it's like God, it's been like two weeks <laughs> you'll have some beers and so and so two fucking weeks and they're like ready to beat the shit out of him for <laughs> oh my god yeah i mean it seems it's like to the point of aggression that his inactivity is like a sign of a huge failure it's like you can't be a person that is undecided in his position so that people are going to get aggressive towards you if you um i don't know don't take a certain path. Great future in plastics. Hey, buddy, tell that to the Atlantic Ocean. Am I right, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you know oh, God. They were really worried that that line would age instantly, and I think it did. <laughs> yeah, you talk about memorable bits like from the movie. Like The plastics line, I think, is probably my... like It probably tops the, the ending scene for me, even. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like it's... It's... It, it, it's like such a joke that was new, I think, for the times that it was made, mm-hmm. that has only become like intensely more relevant as it's gone. What I mean is like, like that joke is the same. It's like it's like Bitcoin. If someone if someone's dad put their arm around you and was like, "Hey, son, Bitcoin. get a wallet. Oh, check out. The, you know what this USB is, son? I got. I've got." <laughs> A quarter of my child's like college education fund on this fucking USB <laughs> ether, baby. They're going to the moon. It's, it's like, but they don't need to say any of that, right? They just say the fucking word plastics, Bitcoin. Uh-huh. It's that it's that whole thing that like I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure there's just seen- like it's it's like the you know South Seas like tulip bulbs. Like it's been going. We're constantly obsessed with fads and willing to like. <laughs> talk about them as a form of like showing we have social currency but uh there's something really pure about that joke for me and as we've seen uh plastics destroy our planet it, it the, <laughs> the the line takes on a new significance it reflects even more uh-huh. of a disconnect between this friend of benjamin's parents and himself you know what i mean it's like it's especially right, right. bad advice now so it's kind of mm-hmm. in, in a sense that that part of the movie has aged super well. But yeah, no, Buck Henry really sweat and like wrung his hands over that line. Was worried that it was just gonna like as soon as the movie came out, just like fall flat. People would be like, ugh, you know, huh. an old because it's an, early, an old it's unhip yeah. guy trying to make fun yeah. of old unhip people. You know, um, Anne Bancroft, much like Liz Taylor and Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, was notably uh, too young for the role she was playing, uh, mm. thirty five. Now, she describes herself as being twice Benjamin's age. Is she literally only supposed to be 40 years old? Um, also, who gra- he graduates from college, not to be the CinemaSins guy about it, but he graduated from college at 20 years old? 20, yeah. What do you mean fucking 16 in college? Jesus <laughs> Christ. I would have literally died. Yeah, like, no I, wonder he didn't have any friends. He was so insufferable. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he's apparently much more um, self-righteous and insufferable in the book. Like, when he breaks off the affair with Mrs. Robinson, he writes her a note that says, oh, he does formally break off the affair in the book. And he writes Mrs. Robinson a note like, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you're familiar with morals, but I was raised to, to, to believe they mean something or something like that. Like he really, uh, <laughs> apparently really like sticks his nose up in the book. Um, Mike Nichols, they wanted, the, the, everybody wanted him to cast Robert Redford. And Mike Nichols was like, 
he he's wrong for this role because like you literally he's too impossibly good looking you can't imagine robert redford like struggling to to, to get the girl at the end of this movie and apparently they were like mm-hmm. at mike nichols house and he asked robert redford so i mean like have you ever actually struck out with a girl imagine you playing this guy and robert redford went what, what do you mean he was literally unfamiliar with the concept <laughs> of not, not having sex and mike nichols was like to him it was like going to a, going to a restaurant and not getting a meal <laughs> <laughs> it was an alien concept uh, I thought it was sort of a, a funny bit um, she's really great in this movie though Anne Bancroft um, and I really love her look uh, they noted they, they mentioned wanting to make her sort of look like a predator she wears all those like animal prints yeah, um, she's got the sort of Tulsi Gabbard streak in her hair Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well Shay you um, watched it on YouTube right yeah so did you notice the fucking commercials came in every ten minutes on on the dot. What? No, no, I did no not have that version. What was happening in the movie? <laughs> and so, like, no there was literally a sex scene, and it was like charged. I, 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 I was feeling, you know, pressure in the panties, and and, and then all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, wham! Like, I'm like starry and internet. Like, uh, satellite internet service is trying to sell me, like, drop my mm, cable. Impossible like, oh, burger, yeah. Totally ruined it for me. I mean, for... I a- didn't have that. Maybe my ad blocker I have or something, but I didn't, did not have that experience. God bless. So, I guess you agreed with Ryan then, Shane. You found this uh, an especially sexy movie, uh, rewatching it. Uh, I mean, no. I think that there were sexy parts, but then it quickly became, like, this dark kind of movie. Because, yeah, I find Anne Bancroft and Catherine Ross both impossibly attractive, but I find the movie deliriously <laughs> unsexy because I really just cannot help but imagine Dustin Hoffman navigating sex with either of them. I mean, we talked about yeah. the, the horror of Buddy the Elf navigating sex. So imagine Benjamin after he fucking, like, turns <laughs> off the lights and, like, jumps into bed and that first time he takes Mrs. Robinson to the hotel. Like, good lord. Yeah. Oh, I think that is... Talk. That's... The, the, the sex scene is great because everything about it is timed wrong... The lights are on and off. He's grabbing her breast, and she's not reacting. She's mm-hmm. like rubbing a stain out on her shirt. It's a great and bit, yeah. There, I mean, there's nothing about this that is convincing that it'll be like a romantic relationship, which makes it seem totally like pathological on both their parts. Is like something that they both have to prove, or it's just completely unrelated to like physical affection, and that mm-hmm. it's just like a, I don't know, some type of social force that they're enacting. He kisses her before she's exhaled the cigarette smoke. That great gif that I yeah, you tweeted that gif today. Yeah, it's a good, great good sight gag. Um, he has the good line yeah. too. I think you're the most attractive of all my parents' friends. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the the yeah. bumblingness never like lets up, which I think is, I don't know, for some maybe is exhausting, but for me, like, I think really like hammers home just how pitiful he is i was gonna say i love the physicality of the role but i think vocally he oversells it sometimes but sorry continue yeah well i think again that's probably like i'm guessing here but like probably due to the direction of mike nichols like he's coming he's coming off of just recently being the golden boy like on broadway uh after being the golden boy like in inventing improv comedy for like fucking 10 years compass players like Mm -hmm. uh and 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 both the stage and the beginnings of improv comedy like highly vaudevillian like it's all this like over performative like 
stumbling over himself, like all these physical gags. Um, I'm really glad they didn't, you know, try to make it laugh out loud funny, but instead let it be this like. <laughs> this is a movie of sort like, of light chuckles, yeah, like like sort is. of amused, like mm. which I think I probably enjoy more than than a, than a hearty ha ho at like seeing a pie go on someone's face. It's certainly uh, easier to watch on the train. Yeah. Any goon can laugh at a pie in a man's face. <laughs> Any simpleton. It takes an intellect <laughs> to snicker. <laughs> I love I love both of the dads in this movie. I love Mrs. Uh, Mr. Robinson as well. Again, I really like his voice, and I like that he can never remember what Benjamin drinks. He goes, ah, scotch, still your drink? Uh, bourbon, and he just keeps pouring him a scotch. Uh, I, I like that there's that great bit, and it's it's also like another scene out of Mad Men. You'll remember in Mad Men when um, Roger basically believes that Don has talked him into divorcing Mona and marrying Jane, uh, and Mona I think like slaps Don in the face and is like, "You talked him into it," basically because he's yeah. been like, "Roger, Drinking you got all your truth." Yeah, um, <laughs> Mr. Robinson has that moment where he basically like gives Benjamin the go ahead to start fucking his wife. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, have a couple flings, man. <laughs> I can uh, say that's all oh, the old ball and chains upstairs, you know. I think that there's so many parts like that is a specific scene that um it seems like the gags just come so easy that like this movie was the plot or something about just the structure of it is built to like just er- erupt in these scenes that are um framed perfectly. Like okay, Mrs. Robinson is coming down the stairs well and she just asked Benjamin that she to fuck her anytime. And then he goes downstairs and talks to the dad who is like, you got to fuck someone, Ben, you got to have sex with a, with a woman and it doesn't matter who it is. And then she comes downstairs and it's just like pouring a drink and you have these like dual kind of understandings meeting in this really like crazy situation. It also happens when, He's talking to Elaine, the daughter, and he's like, ah, you know that lady I've been fucking who's a mom? It's a... And then she shows up in the background. It's like, how do you get it? How do you... How did you create this situation that you can have just, like, these visual things play out so easily? Mm-hmm. And, like, I think that by the end of it, it... Like, he creates this, this world where it's a very simple setup of, like, okay, you had sex... With the girls, with the with, you had sex with the woman's mom, you had sex with the daughter, and then the dad is like the logical next step of getting confronted by, and then you have like and then like this this situation is so complex. Like I know it's you in life sometimes find yourself in these situations. Like I can't even ask for any help because this is just so fucking ridiculously complex, and like I'm just so sh- fucked in it. Mm-hmm. Like he creates that by and. and adding the landlord to the situation where the dad's like you degenerate fucking prick and the landlord's like and i want you right out there. of here yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. how so, do you how do you think of this situation so to have everything yeah. just be like fuck this guy just totally fuck him in it <laughs> and it happens again at the hotel when he comes he comes in with elaine and every single person Everybody, is calling yeah. him he's like Such oh they, mo- they got me mixed up with this guy mr goldstein and then the woman walks by calls him by the correct name it's like god that is good how do you well, fucking think of that the, be- the best fucking thing about that is she calls him Braniff, which is like oh, which is what he said <laughs> yeah how she mishears his <laughs> name <laughs> uh, back in the wedding line so oh it's like this God. it's like this intricate like callback like uh close out to a joke 
that's just already such a, a beautiful mm. bit enough to stand on its own. It's Mike Nichols also, is just a fucking really funny guy. <laughs> I mean, he's just, yeah. <laughs> he gives the also her calling him Mister Braniff gives her her individual experience of that moment that we saw earlier. Meaning, like, like in each of these scenes where we have these complex relationships, like the landlord has his own understanding of Benjamin as this kind of psychotic agitator, weirdo guy that needs to get out of the fucking house. So he understands the situation differently. Similar to like when uh, Benjamin is in the hotel and he's, and he's like, are you here for an affair? And he thinks that like the hotel guy is in on this fucking, he thinks everybody at the hotel is here to like out him. And that's Benjamin's understanding. But the lobby guy's understanding is like, who's, what is this fuck? Weirdo what the fuck doing. is wrong with this guy? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And like him going to the payphone and talking to Mrs. Robinson, and then Mrs. Robinson has her own understanding of the situation. Like I, she probably has affairs all the time. She knows it. She's like, check please. Like she can handle this whole hotel situation very easily. But Benjamin is this weak, fucking willed guy who has to like go a mile away to like call somebody on the payphone because he thinks everyone's in on this fucking uh-huh. conspiracy against him. It's just like mm-hmm. every gag ha- is so perfect because every person has their own understanding that lends to like our experience of this like framed moment where yes. everyone's kind of misunderstandings about each other come together in this perfectly shot way. Yeah. The bit where he walks into the party and then immediately walks out, like it's such classic, like we've all been there, like high guy behavior, just completely like, oh God, how do I act natural? And just completely, <laughs> like, I may as well be like scooting my ass across the carpet. Oh, like I couldn't be God. acting less natural. The whole bit with the guy at the hotel desk is so good. That's uh, Buck Henry, the, the screenwriter himself, the... Do you have any luggage, sir? What uh, luggage? Uh, no, just two. Luggage. Uh, yeah, it's in the. Co- oh, or when he rings the bell and he try. Oh, stop the bell! But ends up ringing it again. <laughs> that yet the physical gag of the bell really got me. <laughs> that so, was just so perfect. The funniest scene in any movie to me. Like truly, I remember watching this probably for the second time and, and nearly pissing my pants laughing. This is for me an almost laugh out loud scene. Is when he takes Elaine to the strip club, and the woman is shaking her breasts over Elaine's head, uh. and he says. You're missing a great effect. <laughs> he has all of these just he just has all of these like great deadpan lines. Um I I love when he's being an asshole on the date. I love when he's like driving too fast and giving her like one word answers, but it really rewatching the movie does not hold together hold together for me that she falls for him. Like she's like crying, yeah. he just like out of nowhere kisses her and suddenly mm-hmm. suddenly they're having this like great date. I, but, yeah. I, I I love and then and then the, the the whole marriage plot that he concocts does not end up being that preposterous. He he stalks her for like ten minutes and she's back into him again. She comes to his fucking apartment, yeah, and kisses him after well, nothing. This is I, I hesitate to say it's I, I would I wouldn't say it's the first, but I like her movie because I mean there were seventy years of cinema before this, but it's mm-hmm. got to be the er example of, of of but I like her cinema, which is you know movies just about your uh, your protagonist who is just stalking a woman who is going to will a woman into having affection for him simply because he does for her mm-hmm. um you know not to say not to say that that fully denigrates this as a movie but it definitely like stuck out for me like god elaine really she seems to have as little agency and maybe that's the point she seems to have as little agency as benjamin like that's what she seems I to be just kind of that- yeah she is similar similar to benjamin is a person who's very influenced by the things people say around her and what they do and having Mm -hmm. benjamin run at her chase her down come to her wedding like she's only been at berkeley for a few weeks and she's already Mm -hmm. marrying that other guy it's like Uh anybody with a strong with strong enough a will can influence any of these other like younger kind of people that have just no idea what's going on Mm -hmm. yeah 
Not to be such a dude about it, great face, Catherine Ross, and a great hair. Really found myself just swooning over Catherine Ross's locks in this movie. She's got a great head of hair. Really cool haircut, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, to hit on that same point, I, I think kind of also connected back to the point we were making before about um, just like the overtly sexual dad, younger, like younger man banter. Uh, mm. that alongside the, like, just like how, how, how Elaine as a like romantic respondent to Ben's like constant onslaught of creep, uh, I, I, both I think are representative of the way that this movie scandalizes still in a way that like, I, I think it, it certainly did when it came out. Right. Like. There's a reason why um, we still yeah, say I mean, uh, Miss Robinson your and other types are pretty horrified by it. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I, I don't think it scandalizes with the same effect. You know, when it scandalized when it came out, I think it was a positive kind of uh, opening up of cultural sensibilities, like you know, older women want to fuck too, that kind of thing. Um, mm. But when I watch it as as a person in 2019, I am scandalized, but only because like he, I mean. When when Ben gets to campus to find Elaine, like he is literally stalking her, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, what's that fucking Netflix show that a Pensbury grad is uh, in? Like you, like they literally have you, a whole yeah. fucking series, and it's. I guess it's still honestly. I, I haven't seen it. I'm not sure what it's about. It's still maybe like sexy. I don't know. But like, it's horrifying now. It's horrifying the mm-hmm. idea of a man stalking a woman. It's not romantic. Um, it is horrifying mm-hmm. if like your dad's friend is like, hey, you run around after them teeny boppers? Like, uh-huh. the the phrase teeny boppers, like, uh-huh. sounded that they're teenagers. fucked yeah. up. Like, are you uh, fucking teenagers uh-huh. is essentially what he's asking? Like, <laughs> are you well, fucking any Benjamin's kids? Supposed to be 20. Elaine is supposed to be like 18. Um, but uh, Benjamin's mom is really weird about it too. When she comes into the bathroom and he's shaving and is like really like hurt that he won't tell her like what he's doing at night. Very strange. Like, she's weird. I don't think that's Even, strange. I, I thought she was really kind of, like, overly invested in whatever it is. Um, well, I mean, that's his mom, and he's uh, presumably going out every night not telling her what he's doing. And I feel like she was being pretty chill about, like, she was just asking, like, what are you doing? What's going yeah. on? Where are you going? <gasps> yeah, yes. Know, by the end of that scene, she's really like, oh, I'm not playing games here, Benjamin. Like, she's very, and I, I don't know, I mean, I don't, I don't get the sense... That there's, I mean, I, I, they live in such a, a cloistered kind of waspy, privileged life that I don't think there's any reason to believe that she would expect that he's doing drugs or something like that. Like she's, I don't know, she's just weirdly invested in her son's sex life, I guess, which I think is something they they want to hammer home about both of the, the sets of parents. But right, I, 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 yeah, that's true. I mean, I think they want him to like have a, you know, get married to somebody, which is evidenced by. <laughs> Him telling his parents, oh, I'm going to ask Elaine to marry me. And his mom li- like, lets ah! out the strangest, <laughs> uh, yes! like a bans- banshee so scream. I, honestly, yeah. it was a moment it, that it was in that moment. I was like, I wish I could see, you know, like that audio file of the movie and see if this was like what <laughs> uh, they fucking line. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. If like they it, it passed the red line, if like they maxed it out to this screech, like, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it, I, what, the other thought what? I had uh, just to close that kind of package of thoughts is like um, even even Ben's sexuality with uh, Ms. Robinson is kind of fucked up like the way they get into it when they're finally getting 
getting randy you know uh mm-hmm. like what's the thing that finally does it for him it's like her like um emasculating him hot she, okay i'm into that she says like cool. oh it's much super on board for that cool chill uh, very I, wasp know, sensibility I'm, I'm, I'm cool with that but then like he gets angry he's like uh-huh. i know i fuck I fuck, I fuck a lot. <laughs> I fuck all the time. Several times. <laughs> and then, like, yeah. they, they black out on him, like, being angry. angry. Which yeah. was, like, another moment where I was like, oh, wow. Like, I, I'm buying into so much of this movie. Uh, but there are points that, like, I just clearly am still, like, Finding a fainting couch, like you know, taking out my old 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 wafting fan, and like, uh-huh. nah. Morally speaking, I'm not on board with this right now. Uh huh. I would say that's a pretty strange moment, along with how when they start having sex, that it it instantly goes to a music montage, and sex has become instantly just a routine that is mm-hmm. no longer like an interesting point in the movie that they it's don't indulge for ever. Is drifting in the pool. I mean, it's, there's no, there's no emotion. Yeah. There's no even, it's literally just fuck it. This is what I do. Right. And the whole, I mean, the only focus we get is the, is him being suggested in these certain directions. And then once they take place, he just kind of is washed over again. And uh, I mean, this, this movie's interested in the process of being, uh, motivated to do things and being unmotivated and being pushed in certain directions, but uh, like having basically nothing to say for yourself or, or like your identity is defined completely by the people suggesting things around you. And when you're not being, when you're not focused on a goal or we're not pushed in a certain direction, uh, it you're basically adrift. And I think that it points at something about just, living your life without doing anything is a very strange thing for people that have a lot of i don't know a lot riding on you or you know the the suggestions to get married which obviously during that time and earlier the the push to get married in your when you're right out of college is like huge i mean all of our parents probably got married at like 22 or something or like 26 and like I mean, what is life when you're not being pushed in a certain direction? For him, it's just sitting in a place, staring out into space and being like, I'm not so sure. Um, but I think he he points at a problem um, beyond fucking your friend's mom uh, about just, uh, you know, living your life the way that you want. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, and maybe it's maybe it's that I'm older and maybe it's that it's 2019 and I'm, I'm trying to give the movie a charitable reading and not just look at. I'm trying to look at the movie outside of the the white maleness of it all, but I found myself, mm-hmm. uh, as I mentioned, really struck by the degree to which both Elaine and Mrs. Robinson are similarly directionless uh, characters, basically, just kind of being acted upon. You think Mrs. Robinson is directionless and being acted upon? Yeah, I mean, I think she, she's obviously the more forthright one in their relationship, but I think I, 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 it struck me to the, the degree to which she's like a miserable person. I mean... Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not to be like Benjamin-y about it it's obviously one of the uglier scenes in the film when he when he calls her like a miserable alcoholic or whatever he says but yeah her th- th- there's that scene when he's we talked about the, the crazy long zoom when he's first taking Elaine out like I you think of her in, in, the, in that sequence and think of her when, when, when she runs into his car from like the rain like she's really a desperate uh, mm-hmm. f- very kind of unhappy I, I think similarly 
I think similarly a person with very little agency. And I think she gets into the affair with Benjamin for exactly the same reason he does, which is like, my life is so fucking boring. You know, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no control over anything. Here's here's something I can do that's going to have the thrill of being illicit and, mm, um, I, you know, will at least fill up some hours of my day. Speaking <clears throat> of the nature of her kind of relationship, I think she acts kind of as a bridge between the older and younger generation in that she was in his position, at his exact position at one point where she got pregnant because she had sex in someone's car, whether or not it was her choice, and got pushed into this life where she grew up and didn't really have a say in anything. And that's the position Benjamin is in right now. And I think she's, she, in telling him, like, do not do not go near Elaine, you will never go near my daughter, is, is that she sees the exact thing that's going to... Uh, that happened to her and she's just I, I think what she shows is that the older generation is just as adrift mm, as yeah. the younger and getting getting tied up in the situation where she's just as you know it's just as high stakes for her as it is for these kids shows that like you know we're the parents have no answers to anything and uh, the, they're just perpetuating these kind of this uh, this perpetual sh- push towards i don't know uh getting on with your life um i i i found it interesting that the the scene with elaine and benjamin and mrs robinson all framed at once is like there's no difference between these people their age isn't even that far from each other they're all just as much tied up in this kind Mm -hmm. of uh uh perpetual fucking train of life Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, like we said, Anne Bancroft was 35 and Dustin Hoffman was like 27. I think it's uh, I think it's good casting, casting them as people who are basically of the same generation playing yeah. uh, people across two generations. It communicates the idea to which there's really not much of a not much of a gap between them and, and their experiences. Right. Um, how, how about when Benjamin holds the door for like 50 old people? Yeah, I wanted to bring that up like at the at, like at some point and i knew like if, if it had to be the last thing i brought up i was okay with that because of how just like stupid non sequitur but still fucking hilarious it was how about when he's if, um yeah how about when he's waiting outside of her class and it uh just cuts immediately to the end of the class and he's still standing there yeah um, yeah like, snap your finger and then everybody's walking out and he's still there hasn't moved um so many like mm-hmm. good little bits like that well one shot i don't like that i found like kind of um wasn't sure what to make of it it seemed like it was like idea missing is when he follows her to the zoo on that date with that and i, I don't find ben an especially sympathetic character but boy howdy they really lay it on thick with what a douchebag the guy she's now dating is he has a fucking pipe mm-hmm. um after after they like leave benjamin by himself uh, the camera zooms in on this like wise ape in the background i don't know if you remember yeah this. yeah <laughs> I wait, like wait, okay. I love the ace on this show. Very but... specific question, <laughs> and it requires it. you remembering a, a screenshot that you might not have in your brain. the The shot immediately before the ape. There's two chimpanzees. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. No, sorry, I was I too do. fixated on the ape. There's two little chimps. I think yeah. they're fucking. They're. I think they're just embracing. Maybe they're fucking. I think maybe they're fucking because one's doing like this whole mouth shit, like a ooh, ooh. Yeah, he was like, blah, blah, blah. yeah. But I couldn't tell. Um, I couldn't tell. I, well, what well, I I think that there, you know, it shows the two kid apes, and then it shows one lonely older ape. 
<laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think sense. there's anything specific to say about it, but it's a good move on Nichols to just be like, oh, and here's two apes. Think of it what you will. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's a metaphor. I, just, I, I guess I tend to find so basically every shot in the film, every kind of composition. I, it's a film where everything is so suffused with meaning. It truly is like... I, uh, I agree. Yeah. It's that little out there. Um... I um I, I guess Berkeley at the time my... also I guess Berkeley in the uh late sixties, much mm-hmm. like Hamilton in the uh mid tens made you take uh gym classes because Elaine is out there just playing like B ball. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think uh, both teams are dressed like, completely in white. They're wearing like polo shirts too. Imagine like playing yeah. B ball in like a polo and Sophie shorts. God, Berkeley at sixty seven, am I right? Yeah, can you imagine? Been there. I feel like Kutztown in the 80s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very deep cut joke. I feel like uh, Indiana University of Pennsylvania in 20, 2008. <laughs> hey, yo. Fuck yeah. Hey, Kool-Aid. All right. <laughs> uh, so, wait, here's um, here's a topic. Uh, they never, like, Ben is, like, very clearly depressed, right? Or Or would you guys not agree with my premise? Uh, I mean, so, yeah. yeah, I guess it depends. I, I think he's pretty inactive. There's, I can't really like comment on his inner state. Yeah, I it guess. Seems, why, do you, why do you? It, ask? it seems like if Netflix exists, he wouldn't be going upstairs to watch the aquarium. He would just be like, you know, like pissing himself because he's like in bed watching Netflix for mm-hmm. twenty four hours mm-hmm. after graduating. Like that seems True. to be kind of what he wants to do. Uh, and I, I don't really have any insightful commentary on uh, besides like my fucking armchair diagnosis, but uh, it, it I think does kind of hit, like hit on the fact that like this is a commercial successful comedy that's dealing with like sexy but racy topics, and one racy mm-hmm. topic that they just could not get into in like 1967 is overtly talking about the fact that Ben Braddock is, like, depressed. Because if he's depressed in 1967, he's going to a psychotherapist. And if he's going to a psychotherapist, he's a crazy person. And if he's a crazy person, then the audience can't identify with him as he is being, like, beset upon by these two beautiful uh, women. So mm-hmm. th- that's my hot take of the evening, uh, is, is just that, like, one of the most, quote, like, of its era kind of things about the film that, like, I think just sits so so just below the surface is that Ben Braddock is severely depressed <laughs> and uh, just cannot find a way to fix it. And uh, also the film cannot fully address it for, like, re- reasons associated with what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an, you, you bring up an interesting point, because at first I was going to say, I think we risk making Benjamin too sympathetic a character if we probe his psychology, but I realize, you're right, if they were framing Benjamin as explicitly someone who was depressed or explicitly mental ill in any way, he would immediately, in 1967, have become a much more unsympathetic character, or at the very at the very least, a much more like unreliable, harder to... Uh, you know, harder to, to, to latch on to sort of a character. Yeah. yeah. Like all this shit when he's running around like stalking Elaine would suddenly gain like a, a much darker tone. <laughs> well, I think that um, maybe for, that... For them. It, for them. The audience then. Yeah. I think the thing Mike Nichols points out is that like 
there's a there's something to not having your life figured out that um like that there's a beginning to depression or or going off the deep end or uh there's a, like a state of being that is basically unacceptable no matter how you deal with it that like he doesn't have to say oh benjamin is depressed there's a state we associate with being depressed that mike nichols is like giving us a a view on and it doesn't really require us having to like put him in an institution it's just showing like you do you know what this is like do you know what what it's like to not to be suggested things or to be asked how you're doing all the time yeah or to um you know just be living a life that doesn't have your shit all worked out uh and that like I, I I think it addresses like a way of life like that without having to uh, I don't know bring hit the nail on the head. Yeah, the 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 scuba diving scene was where I felt like oh no this is a point that I genuinely have was when mm-hmm. he like is flopping out with his silly little flippers and and mm-hmm. and and the scene of the party totally cuts out and all this like um you know, negotiating of his dad just falls into the background and we're just like hearing his perspective, like Darth Vader style, like, uh-huh. <sighs> mm-hmm. yeah, just his breath. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, Oh, okay. Like I feel fine yeah. calling him depressed in 2019 because that's the way that I've, I've felt when I've, you know, at times been depressed is like that I mm. am in a fucking scuba suit at a party. <laughs> <laughs> I, and all that I want to do at this party is die is find the deep end of the pool and dive into it. <laughs> dive into it by myself and hopefully break my neck. Yeah. And hopefully yeah, it's actually yeah, the shallow. Yeah, yeah. Or just like, um, Get hypothermia in California. <laughs> <laughs> Prune up too much. Um, it's yeah. a very yeah. It's a very good, if slightly on the nose, depiction of the sort of uh, tunnel vision uh, of depression. One of the um, they made a lot of changes from the novel in terms of omitting things. Um, there's a subplot in the novel where Benjamin decides to start like fighting wildfires out in California. Um, <laughs> Are one of the you few, fucking kidding? Like, I, I shit you not. Yeah, much like the, the movie Wildlife with Jake Gyllenhaal from last year. Um, so uh, one of the few like changes they made is in the novel he interrupts Elaine's wedding to that uh, the the pipe smoking guy right before they've exchanged vows. He he makes it for the um you know uh does anybody have time. A reason they shouldn't be wed or whatever. In this they didn't and Wed hated the change, said it compromised Benjamin's good character. Uh, mm. I really like that they made the change because it's such an I, obvious as we've been talking obvious about, incredible change. The whole point is that like what there's nothing fucking honorable about this guy of course he would you know show up a second late and you know still expect to be able to to to, to sweep elaine off her feet and take her away um what, <laughs> obviously one of the most iconic incredible endings of of, of any film ender, ever uh the the sort of elation on their face turning into a sort of uh ambiguous if it, uh, i mean even leaning toward totally uh negative uh expression um mm. I, I, to 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 a powerful move, you know, to suggest, you know, have they have they really won? It's almost like remember the episode of Rugrats where that um that clown doll comes to life and is like stalking them and he speaks in rhymes. It ends with the end question mark. I think this is one of the good the end question marks in movies, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's insane to me that Charles White wrote a sequel because this movie falls completely apart when you when you actually introduce the fucking day after. The whole point is, yeah. you know. 
But it's like it's like the ending of an episode of the fucking Twilight Zone. It's like, whoa, you know, consider the implications. It's you know, uh, it honestly, it only it only works when you have to imagine this shit in your mind. Mm-hmm. It feels like it's it's. I think it's comparable to Inception for the only reason that <laughs> it is like a huge commercial <laughs> success. That like, uh, you know, the 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 everyone who's seeing it, which is everyone. Part of the reason they're so hard is because it has like an ambiguous ending, and it, every time like an audience of its era sees a movie like that, they're like, "Oh my god, this this movie is groundbreaking because it didn't let us didn't make us choose," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I feel the movie genuinely fe- like falls apart in the last third. Um, I think it it still is an enjoyable ride for all the reasons I said before, like. You know, the director, the acting, the script, but like the plot, right? Like what we're fucking like watching every second to the next four completely false. Like it loses its connection to reality. Um, I'm still invested in the characters again because of the strength of the the rest. But like uh, the plot, it, it becomes a little, a little silly, I think. Um, and it's best embodied by the end, but at the same time, like the ending, I do kind of eat up. I half eat up. I like half num num num. I half chef kiss it. Mm-hmm. Like, three fingers chef. So it's more. It's more like because... Shane at a Sofia Coppola buffet than me at a Sofia Coppola buffet. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not quite eating yourself to the point of vomiting, but you're full. Exactly. Um, exactly. You're satisfied. I also have to I have to mention like uh, I watched I watched the Beguiled and obviously had a lot of thoughts about it and I watched this the Graduate and I had a lot of thoughts about it. I thought both films were very sexy. Neither of you, I think, thought that either of them were particularly sexy films. So uh, maybe I'm hitting on something my own type there that uh, well, um, I well. Um, the, the the Beguiled is sexy in a very like creepy kind of awful way i guess i'm yeah the, the guy is more i just I, I i hate the heat so much that the, the idea of having the, the idea of of anyone having sex in the fucking like 1860 south is really horrifying idea to me we're talking about what a <laughs> yeah. muggy mosquito bit movie that is <laughs> um so ryan a couple questions i like to ask guests um oh, what's sweet. the worst movie you've ever seen in theaters uh transformers 3 was the first movie i walked out of is it Revenge of the Fallen? Uh, I think so. I think so. I was. Oh, wow. It was. Um, Good pull. It was back in like 2011, 2012. Still living, going to high school, uh, Pensbury High, and it was a double feature. I think I went. And I saw a movie with Jenna, and uh, we like wanted. We were like, well, let's just see another movie afterwards. And so we walked into Transformers Three, and uh, I. I I remember I, I, honestly, it was like I am a sixteen-year-old art boy. Like, mm-hmm. what swill are you trying to like fucking <laughs> get me to slurp on down with this CGI bullshit? There's no character. There's no plot. There's no meaning. And so, like, oh. I walked out of the movie because it was douchey. I felt as a douche at sixteen. Uh, so if I truly like was actually trying to answer the worst movie I've ever seen, maybe I'm not actually getting at you, but the first movie I walked out of was Transformers 3. Mm. 
What's the mm. movie you've seen the most times? Uh, <laughs> well, here I'll I'll uh, I'm not proud of this one, but I saw. Yeah, no, I can't even say that. I can't say that. Uh, you, what is it? I I love you, Daddy. You saw that six times. Wow. No, no, it's it's maybe better, but also worse. I saw La La Land in theaters three times. Oh, I saw it twice. That's it's not that bad. It was so that's the you times like that that's the most times I've seen a movie in theater paying like fucking ten dollars uh-huh. for it. Um, but like the movie I've seen the most times is probably like one of the Star Wars original movies because we had them on DVD and I would just binge that shit again and again and again every time we were traveling anywhere. So mm-hmm. probably episode four. Okay, wait, one last question for you guys. Uh, Let's you, hear. Do, did you read anything about the the soundtrack? Um, by in... Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, they were supposed to write an entirely original soundtrack. <laughs> they wrote one original song, yeah. And they won. They wrote one Fuckers. fucking new song. Those lazy pieces. Yeah, you could tell they had. Mrs. Robinson. They replayed yeah, the exactly. same song They already twice. had it. It was called Ms. Roosevelt. It was called and Mrs. Roosevelt. And they just Roosevelt. fucking renamed yeah. it. Uh, 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 it's not even about the fucking movie. It's just like talking about someone with a name, Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> you honestly, it was about a woman in a psychiatric ward. You lit. Wait, was that? Oh, was it? Well, yeah. If you listen, you know, they stroll around the grounds. It's someone in like a psych ward. You don't hear those lyrics in the movie. Actually, mm. there's an uh, when he's when he's oh, speeding, yeah, you don't. When he's speeding towards Santa Barbara, you hear a verse that's not in the song as we know it. Huh. Um, yeah, so it's a slightly different version of the song. But yeah. I'd like to suck your and inside your ass. <laughs> yeah. Put a piece of the original lyrics. inside your pocket. Stretch my scrotum over your face. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, Ryan. It's uh, it's uh, time for Bennett to go. Uh, visiting hours are over at the um, at the uh, Eastern at the Penitentiary di- <laughs> at the, at the oh, Foreskin Rejuvenation Hospital. Oh man! Um, but Ryan, it's been a pleasure having you. It's Thank you for all your here. insightful commentary. Ryan, come back anytime. Soon you'll probably replace one of us on this episode, on the show. Bennett, as always, it's been a uh, living nightmare to be stuck in this uh, legal situation <laughs> with you, um, but um, just I six guess more years. cheers. <laughs> six more years and then we're finally uh, out of this uh, fucking hell. <laughs> well, uh-huh. uh, as I always say, bye-bye. Later. <laughs> <laughs>